enter if you dare this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the slumber podcast massacre. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Till. That's Andy. <laughs> this is a podcast about horror. Every week, Tim and I, we get together. We talk about a different movie from the horror genre, from your well-known classics down to that rare gem with spiders crawling out of its Ooh. back <laughs> at the back of your video store shelf. <laughs> and I said that out loud. I wouldn't have used back twice. Yes. That's dumb. Uh, this week, starting a new miniseries, Stays the King, baby! We're covering films based on the works of Stephen King, and we're kicking it off from 2007. It's The Mist. Tim, before, like, as we get this started, what's, what's your, what's your Stephen King background? Well, I don't think it's as, as extensive as yours is, because I know that you're a, we'll call you a reader. <laughs> I used to be, yeah. <laughs> um, I I love to read, but... My I, wife is going to laugh when she hears you call me a reader. <laughs> <laughs> well, my kind of reading is like laying at be- in bed at like three in the morning and then just suddenly like have like needing to know what like warren g is up to right now like <laughs> right. that's that's like my He's still regulating right yeah, it, it always will be um so uh so yeah i don't really sit down to read you know a lot of novels back to back but um i guess what i like about stephen king most uh as far as what my attachments to to his writings are is that I felt like he is the author that is the foremost one of so properly identifying and connecting to that weird sort of inner monologue that none of us really ever want to admit to. Like he does a really good job of like actualizing and manifesting those those, you know, kind of strange inner thoughts that we might have, or we're connecting to something in our childhood or something like that. I thought I always did a really good, almost to the point of being unsettling job of that. Um, But as far as like sitting down and reading books, cover to cover experience wise, because we're the movie thing. I mean, shit. I mean, most of your people out there, anybody listening to this right now, whether they're a horror fanatic or not has seen Stephen King movies. So, me speaking more to his books, the two that I have sat down, and I think it's the only two that I've sat down and read cover to cover, are The Dark Half, which I love to death. That's my favorite book. And and uh, and The Cell, which is, I think, unfairly. Yeah, that's right. You did read The Cell. I did. And you told me that, and I was like, oh, how's it like match up with this other stuff? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what made me pick it up. But because um, it's such a weird one for yeah, you to have read, right? Um, somebody out there is like, maybe you should try Pet Cemetery. I mean, that's a pretty good book. But I really love the dark half. And um, oh, I take that back. I have read his book. Probably the one that I enjoyed the most was called On Writing, and it's oh, actually yeah. just his book where he talks about with uh, uh, he writes that with someone else, right? Peter 
pure I, 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 don't, I don't think so. This one was just him sitting down and talking about his writing process, like his history. Yes. It's kind of an autobiography. Another one similar. Uh, Dance Macabre. Yes. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yes. And so, so my experience with him, admittedly, from a, a literary standpoint, is limited. Um, but I certainly appreciate him. I, I know that he gets it. And what I think he, he really, truly gets about horror is the psychological aspect. So that that's always been one thing that I really liked about him, even though I don't really care for psychological thrillers, <laughs> and we've discussed that at length. But um, but I I think he's got a real finger on the pulse of of the reality of of some of that stuff. Yeah. Um. So okay. So now I know what your favorite Stephen King book is, which I think I'm thrilled that it's that one. Yeah, that's I probably like. I mean, it's easily the book I've read the most. Maybe the only book I've read more than once. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. And there's some, I mean, that, you know, here I am talking about the psychological stuff. It's not to say that he can't write some stuff that makes your skin crawl from a purely horror aspect as well. Yeah. But um, if you had to pick, and it's okay if it's a short story or, you know, a novella or anything like that, what what would be, um, give me like a, like a, maybe a top three. Top three or four. Okay. Interesting. Well, yeah, I'd say the dark half. Yeah. Um, yeah. As far as like, he has several short story collection books out. Uh, all are pretty good. There are some that are like, I think he's got two or th- maybe three at this point that are like four. They're like novellas near, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but night shift, I think has the best collection top to bottom of short stories and that starts with like almost its own novella because salem's lot isn't no not Salem. oh it's like a return to salem's lot salem's lot is its own novel yeah i was like no that book is huge um yeah he had the book salem's lot and then there's like a brief like return to salem's lot i I, that might be what it was called but i can't remember the title but it's like a good chunk of this short story bit and then the rest of the the stories are good like 12 to 20 30 pages um but yeah that one i should that i that i have probably also reread yeah not like it's what i like about those you don't just do it in a sitting you know so yeah like some of the short stories in night shift i've read as far as a piece of literature things in that i've read the most in my life let me ask you this question have you ever experienced the emotion of fear to the same extent while reading as you have while watching a movie? Uh, yes, more, more so. I've oh. never been, especially, well, and I'll say as an adult, because yes, as a child, sure, uh, like seeing a movie will fuck you up like that. Oh, yeah. just fucked me up watching it. Um and I didn't even understand like the, the religious undertones that a lot of people were afraid of in it. Right. I was just like, that looks gross. Yeah. Um, so that like I had to watch that through my fingers. Ghostbusters, like Ghostbusters scared me, you know. <laughs> um, but I read there's a story in Night Shift called The Boogeyman that I read at my cousin's house. We're at like a family event. She had friends over. I don't remember where we were there for, but it was a lot of people. I was in high school when I read this story. And that night, man, I was so afraid of my closet. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I I was flabbergasted. I was that afraid. Wow. But I just, and like, even reading it, I was like, whoa, that was good. 
but I wasn't like, oh no, I'll yeah. never get to sleep tonight. Right. So it's a very unexpected, just like, I can't believe I'm like freaking out about this. It's a very odd feeling being so aware at how ridiculous you're being and nothing, <laughs> you can't do anything right. about it, you know? Well, that's a, that's especially funny for you because as we've established that you, you do have a, a sliver of a cynical side. So like the idea of words on a page <laughs> right. having that effect on you, I think that, that just, that has Especially to speak. one about a boogeyman that lives in your closet. Like, right. What a, what a, and it's like, cause especially that concept is so tired and yeah. old. Like that's not an original idea that elicits fear, but the way he presented it, just, I mean, it's essentially the last three lines where you're just like, <laughs> like that, that's, that is what I like about Stephen King. A, another short story. And I think it's in, I know I've told you about this one. Maybe this is, you're trying to goad me into talking about this one. <laughs> um, I think it's in nightmares and dreamscapes or maybe skeleton crew. Uh, and it's called the jaunt. And it's, it's a story about the history of teleportation. <laughs> and you're like, how is that scary? And through the context of the story, you are like, oh, wow, there's some like uh, crazy concepts behind it. But yeah, like yeah, the last like paragraph of that, like I lit, I'm starting to like, I can't talk about it without getting a little choked up yeah. at just like how it affected me. And that was the one I hadn't read. And I was in, uh, I saw some thread on Reddit and it was like, you know, like, what's a story that, like, really stuck with you or something? And someone said the jaunt. And I was like, how oh, I never read that? And then, yeah, like, reading it, you're, I mean, you, it's a good story and you're interested and you're just like, wow. And then, like, the last paragraph, you're just like, oh, my fucking God. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I deal with that. And it's like, I can, invent, like, if I'm ever in a thing where I have to cry, I, that's, I, it's all I have to do is think about that. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not going to give it away. Just go look it up. I hope. I mean, I'm keep certain I've a to, you know I'm over the estimated how it's going to affect people. But for me personally, that one kills. I mean, there's no way you're not going to be affected by the end of that story. They keep talking about making a movie of that. Oh, man. Um, I mean, it would be good. Yeah. But, it's, but, but my fear is like, yeah, you're adding so much. They're going to add so much shit. And it like it's only effective because of that ending, right? Well, that and it, and it's 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 almost impossible to articulate. But I think I know what you're saying. Where it's like it's one thing if you see you know a guy with a giant drill slash some you know w woman in a some lingerie across the stomach or whatever. Like it's all very surface, you yeah. know. Like it can be shocking. It can be a surprise. It, maybe it's even funny. Um, even if it's bloody, it's 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 all very surface level. But Stephen King does have a way of getting under your skin and touching more of those like um, those unsettling feelings. Like uh, one the easiest way for me to describe it is when you first um, when you first begin fighting and fight training and when you're sparring, when you're actually fighting someone and um until you learn to sort of compartmentalize this and, and sort through the emotion and sort of get rid of the emotion of fighting when someone is really getting the best of you, like, like it just feels like they're just sitting back and they can pick anything they want to do this punch, that kick it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. Anything they want to do, they're landing it and you're just taking it over and over and over and over. 
you start to feel that weird feeling that you would feel when you were a kid and like if like like maybe a couple kids were making fun of you and you had that pit in your stomach and you just wanted to like cry and go home, run home and stuff like that. Yeah. That's sort of that soul hurt, you know, that, that, that actually you, you feel that when this is happening. And um, so that's what I think Stephen King does a good job of doing is that he not only makes contact with that jump scare fear, it's more of that, that deeper fear that's not so comfortable or fun to talk about. Yeah. And that and that the ending of that short story, because you had me read it, is just it's it's scary and sad. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that's it's more like um, I don't even really know. Terror isn't the right word for it. It's more just like like the horror of I mean, just like the 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 actual definition of the word something being horrific. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. And I can I think it's what the kid says at the end and all the layers under it that I, that you understand only by, yeah. you know, if I were to say the line, it would ruin the story. Then if you sure, started getting sure. into it um, and you might start crying, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. I, I will. Like I could, I couldn't because yeah, when you're like, Oh, someone's going to make a movie out of it. I'm like, fuck, I want to. Cause like I've thought about that scene so many times yeah, and how it could be fucked up and how I think it could be effective. It was like when, our theater was like, Hey, we're going to direct, uh, Tammy, uh, the T-Rex story. And I was like, I, uh, I, I didn't want to direct anything, but I was like, I have to do this. Yeah. I can't. Cause I thought about this too much. It's going to drive me fucking insane. If I have to sit there and yeah. watch someone else's vision of this movie, we directed it together, Tim. It was a yes. great time. Um, man, that was a good time. I did it not was. expect it to be that fun. Oh, and I, I, yeah, I'm really proud of that because we had more. I mean, you don't get a lot of community theater that involves spines being ripped out of people's backs. <laughs> this one did. Yeah, that show did. That, um, yeah, and that scene in particular, I'm like, no, I know how like the dance scene has to go, and someone's going to do it wrong. Yeah, it's a, it, for those of you who I'll never come haven't to the seen theater again. Tammy, the coming of age story of a girl who's part T Rex. Thank you. Um, I couldn't remember the whole time. If if you uh, if you haven't seen it, it is it kind of culminates in this dance scene where this girl who actually is genetically part Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, ends up just kind of hitting her breaking point and massacring. Yeah, it's uh, scary. A good it's a scary of, scene. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, that was a lot but of fun. Way better. So what? So now you're touching on something that is kind of relative to Stephen King and us covering his films, and that is you you were t- speaking to the fact that you you literally couldn't negotiate the concept of somebody else doing that show or even that scene and having to sit through somebody fucking it up. <laughs> right. And Stephen King is pretty infamous for not being a giant fan of how he, a lot of his work is translated into film. Right. Um, nicely for us in this episode, he did like this movie. Yeah, he did. One of the few. I'm and not- one, well, I mean, we'll get to the end towards the end, but the end of this is different from the story. And it's one where he was like, they did it better. Like, I'll admit it. <laughs> right. like, that's a way better ending than mine. And it is. It is. Cause and, I've read this story too. Oh yeah. I was going to ask yeah. you that if you had read it. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember a lot about it. I mean, I do remember the end. Um, and I feel like I probably read it. I might've read it like right before we went to see the movie or right after. Do you know what? Um, and I, Maybe I should say this for for once we get into it. But what 
what is this a part of? What is what uh, collection? That's a good question. It might be Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Okay. Or, I mean, Skeleton Crew. Okay. Skeleton Crew is really good. Uh, Yeah, I should go back. I need to go back and read those because I need to read something. Which one is the I've jaunt? I've just been on a real... Which nah. one is the jaunt in? I, I think it's... Uh, Are you sure you like Skeleton Crew, crew better than, than Night Shift? <sighs> I'm sure. Yeah. I'm okay. sure. Cause I, but, but like I said, no, Skeleton Crew has some really good stories in it. It might, Yeah, it might have better, like, as far as, like, this individual story, this individual story are better than the ones in Night Shift. Oh, okay. But as a collective, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, Skeleton Crew might have, like, one, three, and six of my top favorites, but then Night Shift has, you know, two, four, five, eight, nine, ten, eleven, okay. and twelve. <laughs> right. Um, oh, there's too much to look up on this. I, I don't know. Um, well, it's interesting. Like, I mean, here's here's one thing that I think uh, speaks to the validity of somebody. I also liked I, his Richard Bachman books. I never really gave a third. I mean, the John kind of is a short story. Dark Tower series. No, I did not like those. Okay. Uh, that's different. That's a gunslinger, which oh, has yeah. made a reference in this movie that we will get to eventually. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, he wrote because he wrote under a pseudonym. Uh, Richard Bachman. He wrote four stories. Uh, some of them are incredible. Well, really, three of them are. Two are amazing. One is okay, and one is good. And then they did a movie version of it, and it's hilariously nothing like it. So his first two, he did one called Rage, which would have made a pretty compelling movie at some point in time. It will never get made. It's about a kid who takes his classroom hostage. Oh, like he kills his oh. principal and then takes his his classroom hostage. Never get made, but it's very good. Like yeah. it's just a, I mean, it is a, as what Stephen King is really good at, a, uh, a, uh, um, not an investigation, but you know, like a closer look at societies and how they work, how we interact with each other. Yeah, like that's that. Uh, the other one is called The Long Walk, which is really good. That's all, one of my favorites as well. And that's like it's like set in a future kind of dystopian time, and there is a competition. It's called the Long Walk, and it's mainly—I I believe it's—you know—it's like troubled boys or criminal. They put like criminal boys or something in it. Maybe you can sign up for it. Maybe so. It's kind of like lottery by Shirley Jones, but it's essentially just a walk. You have like a hundred people that start. One person finishes. If you drop below three miles an hour, you get a warning. On your third warning, you get shot. Oh. Or if you stop moving, you get shot. Or if you try to leave the path. You get shot. Oh. And so it's essentially, yeah, just having to stay awake and walk as long as you can and be the last one. And then you get a prize or you get released or whatever the yeah. weird thing was. Oh, cool. That one's amazing. Uh, there's one called Roadwork, which is just about a guy who's like trying to get revenge on someone who killed his wife or something like that. And then the fourth one is The Running Man. Uh, yes. <laughs> Which uh, is in essentially the same thing. It's a, it's like, yes, you can sign up to be a fugitive. I don't think it, you are a criminal, or maybe it is. It's one of those squid game yeah. things where they like try and find destitute people yeah. who are in debt or whatever. And then, yes, now it's just like a, but it's more public. Like yeah. it's not a arena like the Schwarzenegger running man. Yeah. It is a, the public can hunt you down. Oh, oh, kind of cool. thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh, so that one's really good. So yeah, the, all his box, and then he wrote. He did. So that's and that's where the dark half came from. 
which I kind of love. Yeah. Was like, that's a whole point of the dark half. Um, and then he also did, uh, two books at the same time. Uh, man, I'm going to forget what they're called now. <sighs> One, like one's called desperation, I think. And then the other, the regulators, I want to say Warren G back to Warren G. Um, <laughs> Which one he wrote as Stephen King, one he wrote as Richard Bachman, different stories, but all had like the same named characters. Okay. The characters weren't the same. Yeah. But they all had the same name. It was weird. It was a weird little exercise. And, huh. you know, he's like, well, I'm on my 38th book. I guess I'll try this. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. The ideas don't come as fast without the cocaine anymore. <laughs> no, so, no, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, here's here's an interesting question, because you just rattled off about 10 titles <laughs> that I didn't even know existed. And I thought I could name 20 books that he's written. But um, here's a real fun question. Uh, and there's not really a definitive answer to it. If if Steve is indeed the king, baby, he's so much so. And not that not to say that, like, um, it has to be a. a male versus female, because maybe you could cite like Anne Rice or something like that. But let's just say male authors of uh, genre books, like yeah. whether it's horror or whatever. Is there anyone that's even a close second? Um, Like as far as success? Yeah. I or, mean, I it's mean, interesting you ask that because like when Stephen King was getting big, uh, like Dean Koontz was out selling him. Oh, Dean but Koontz. Okay. Stephen King is so weird looking. Yeah. And interesting. A person. And he put himself out there. I think that really helped with his own success. Have you ever Not that read his books are garbage and like he's only getting my honest looks. Right. <laughs> yeah. He did seem sort of cre- like I think he, yeah, he leaned creepy. into that creepiness yes, as it was. Totally. Um. Have you ever read and not any? like hot, like, you know, Clive Barker's like, no. you're like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, you're, you're, you know, he's the Chris Angel of horror writers. You know, he, I think it, that was a thing that, that Stephen King had going for him was that his books were frightening and you really bought into the fact that he himself might be frightening, you yeah. know, so that that's what sells a lot. Have you ever read any Dean Koontz books? I can't say that I have. I wonder if he's as good of a writer. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a real um, loyal, I'm a real but loyal I mean, like, person. But like, I, I just, I mean, we're talking about like, you know, it's easier to talk about in sports as far as like, I always love to ask the question of sports fans. Let's assume that we can agree on who the number one is of like the four main sports. Of those four, who is the one that was so dominant in their sport that they end up, they're like the number one of the number ones. You know right. what I mean? So we don't have to get into that discussion, but <laughs> but it makes me wonder about these horror or thriller writers. Like, where the hell is everybody else? Right. Uh, wh- why is he not? Why can't we rattle off four or five other names through modern history that even come close to Stephen King? Yeah. He's like Weird Al. It's like, yeah, there are other like comedy musicians, right? But t- tell me one of them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but th- yeah, but this guy gets the platform. Where it's just like everyone knows everything he's ever done, and and ignores everyone else. Well, I think a lot of it is. Yeah, that's a good question. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, whereas there have been. Oh, let's say a series of books that became very popular that were not very well written. Yeah. 
I'm looking directly into your eyes, Stephanie Meyer. I was going to say, if you don't say Twilight, (laughs) we're on the wrong page. You know how I feel about the Twilight movies. I have this weird sort of affection for them. But the books are awful. Two and five are pretty good. I mean, they're just written movies awfully. Yeah. Um, uh, So you read those books? Yeah, I did. I read all of them. Yeah. Okay. Just fitting it into lunch breaks, like starving myself just so I could read more Twilight and just fit it all I'm laughing, but there's no surprise here. I'm not (laughs) No surprise at all. all. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of it is due to the fact that, I mean, I'm no literary expert, as we've established, but uh, I feel like he's pretty talented at what he does. And so it it warrants that that separation from the rest of the pack. Um, So wasn't there a guy named Peter Straub? Yes. I said Strauss before. Yeah, that's he wrote. Dance Macabre with was, Peter Did he Straub. also write his own books, though? Yes, I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, unclear on who's writing whose coattails in that uh, right. yeah. <laughs> scenario. Yeah, unless like unless we're going to sit here and call like Clive Barker like the king of horror. Not not Clive Barker, but uh, who am I thinking of? Clive Cussler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, see, that's a name like I know that name. <laughs> right. I couldn't tell you anything that guy's I ever think he, done. I think he writes about and, submarines or something. Oh, okay. Oh, he's like yeah. a he's, he's like, like a, a Tom what's yeah. his face? Yeah. Clancy. Oh, see, okay. but that's the thing. Like we could sit here and rattle off well, at least two, um, people that write about like espionage or intrigue or yeah. whatever. Who's the other guy that writes that kind of stuff? There's one guy that's really out. Um, (laughs) But who does like Hunt for Red October? That's Tom Clancy. He's done most of them. Right. He is. He's the Stephen King of military espionage novels. So who is Stephen King's Clive Cussler? That's what we're really asking. I would say that's Dean Koontz. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we've established that connection. Yeah. Um. Should we get into the episode? Yeah, let's talk about the mist for fuck's sake. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, we can keep coming back to talk about yeah. Stephen King because yeah, we'll I can talk back about around to Clive Cussler in a second. Yeah. Okay, so it's the mist from 2007. This was written and directed by Frank Darabont. It stars Thomas Jane, Marcia Gay Harden, and Laurie Holden. Had a budget of 18 million, box office of 57, moderate hit. Uh, here's Nan Sum, and then we'll get into some spoilers. David Drayton takes his son into town following a brutal storm in their town of Bridgeton, Maine. The storm has uprooted trees and knocked out cellular service, not to mention a mysterious mist rolling down out of the hills. Unbeknownst to David and the citizens of the town, the mist holds dangerous creatures from another dimension unlike anyone anyone has ever seen. A small band of townsfolk must stick together in a grocery store to survive. That is, if they can survive nature's most deadly creation. Man. Yeah. The mist. Yes, I um, I don't know how I missed this one. Oh, um, wow! Before now, but I literally watched this movie yesterday. Yeah, uh, I remember. I'm impressed. I thought you would watch it this morning. I uh, yeah, no, actually, <laughs> I, I got it in yesterday. Um, I remember seeing the trailer. I remember being really intrigued by it. I like. Let's face it. I mean. He, uh, any sort of siege movie has a, naturally a built-in tension. Mm-hmm. So siege movies are fun because it's it's like that idea that we all wonder about where, and it's certainly topical within the last handful of years of, you know, just what would we do? We were just recently talking about, you know, the, the, the um, value um, 
of of being like a survivalist yeah. and and if that's worth anything or if it's worth worrying or, or troubling yourself about but um th- this is one of those movies that is is frightening because of its uh practicality because of its plausibility not necessarily tentacled monsters <laughs> right but being trapped in a place with strangers okay sure there's there's any number of things that could happen shit i i remember working at a uh, a local, um, I guess we'll call it a, a large chain hardware store that I worked at, at once upon a time. And there would be like over the couple of years that I worked there, like really big storms where, you know, everything was shut down and we lost power. And granted, that would total like maybe eight or nine minutes before it came back on. But it really was this bizarre feeling of a complete loss of societal control. Like. Yeah. We don't have any light. We don't have any. You're here to 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 do um, commerce. We can't process your transaction. We're just here for no reason in right. the darkness. And it, and it really is an unsettling and actually kind of fun feeling of freedom that we don't normally experience. So I think that these kinds of movies that talk about these groups of strangers being stuck together in extraordinary circumstances is, I think, something that at least most people have thought about. Yeah. So. Did you, when did you see this movie? Well, I saw this in the theater. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, this might've been around the time I was reading a lot. I know, uh, Nancy went through and like read every Stephen King novel again. She's a reader. Wow. She's a reader. She's read. Now, listen, I'm going to preface this with, uh, she'll say I've read. She's listened to audiobooks. I know. <laughs> now Listen. A lot of people will defend saying, I read. I don't think. I listened. <laughs> yes. She's listened to about 120 books this year. Wow. Alone, yes. Wow. So she loves stories. And and that is not to say she does not read. Like, she does. It's, you know, uh, convenience of our time. Does she listen to every episode of the podcast? Yes, she does. Well, okay. Yeah. That's, that's I was about to just uh, jump out of A week later, so I've got a week to live. <laughs> yes, right. There you go. <laughs> or, Enjoy that. Or she kills me for saying this. But anyway. Um, but yeah, she reread all of them. So I, I was probably into reading at that time. I tried reading over the pandemic. I'm like, I'm going to read. And I read three novellas that were like 120 pages long. And that was it. <laughs> Did you like any of them? I did. I did. It was yeah. like a murder bot series, like a killer Android. So I was, I was into oh. it, but he's like trying to be good. It's good. It is. Good. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was a good series. It was worth it. Then the whole thing it was, yeah. it was worth yes. the whole pandemic, right? Yeah. Well, I loved the pandemic, so we won't get into that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, we went and saw it at the theater. Um, I loved it. And it's, you know, it's because what is, unconventional about this movie but not unconventional about stephen king but you could go into it like the trailers are just like people are trapped and there are monsters that want to kill them like that's what the movie sells you on but what this movie is about yes is about isolated communities uh fear of the unknown power struggles you know all you know all the facets and fun things that make us human like yeah. that's really what the story is about so yeah, even rewatching it now, I was like, man, there are like very few monster encounters. Yeah. They're, and they're each like their own little separate thing. And it's like 20 minutes in between each one. But you don't mind. Like, it's not, you're not like, well, nothing's going on, you know? Um, but yeah, loved it. Like, we left and I was like, 
wow. Like I was, I didn't expect it to be that good because like Stephen King movies, while we could name a lot of good ones, there are so many and there are so many that are so bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. We will cover at least one. Yes. That is so bad, uh, but we have to cover it. Let me ask you this real quick in your memory at that time. And it, it'll probably be a little bit hard to trace back to, to the actual feeling of watching the movie in 2007. But do you remember how you felt about the special effects at that time? Uh, yeah, I mean, they were not great, but at the time it was almost, you could get away with it. They did not age well. Yeah. But yeah, at the time you were just like, okay, that's, uh, but enough for you to, yeah, you were buying it and it was, yeah, it didn't take away. Right. Um, I will say there is a black and white version you can watch. Yeah. Did you watch part of that? (laughs) Yeah. I watched some scenes because I really wanted to know. Because I, they went to a great effort. Actually. When we left that, I was like, that movie would have fucking ruled in black and white. And then yeah. the DVD came out and they were like, there was a part like you could put a setting where you watch it in black and white. I was like, oh, thank you. And what's cool about that is, is that they didn't just it's not just a matter of like, hey, let's uh, just pull out the color like they have to really redevelop all of the film because this movie was actually shot on film. It wasn't it wasn't digital. Yeah. Um, so they shot it on film. And so they have to go back and adjust the contrast and the brightness and the the depth of color and everything. Yeah, I wonder if that, yeah, that makes sense then. And the black and white does look very nice. And it's far more forgiving of the aging of the special effects. So I would almost suggest if somebody hasn't seen this movie that they check out the black and white It's like the latter half monsters. I didn't mind. But like the first two sets of monsters were like... It's like the special effects got better as it went along. Because the first thing we really see are just tentacles. Yeah. And that looked like shit. Well, it's funny you say that. I've got a quote here. Oh, good. From uh, Frank Darabont. You uh, have said it's funny you say that so much. Like, no one (laughs) believes. Like, if I feel like people are like, this guy is just setting up his own (laughs) shit. I swear, Tim does the research. I don't know a lot of this stuff. Frank Darabont was being interviewed and he was asked about the the limitations of the four million dollars that they had for an effects budget, which is, is okay. nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. nothing. I was going to say, like with this only being 15 million dollars. So there's a tape recorder in front of him and he says, whoever bitches about my tentacles and then he leans in and he just goes, fuck you. <laughs> you do better with four million and uh, so yeah so i mean he he's actually like a really fun guy to read yeah i certainly don't slam them due to laziness like i understand it's just you know uh product of its time and the technology that was available you know it makes me wonder it it can't be that hard i mean uh, you know they're still frightening george lucas got dragged across the coals for for this but it can't be that hard with the technology that we have now to literally just go in and erase and redo at whatever level we're at now. Yeah. Um, and I don't really have a huge sort of um, philosophical problem with You're that. hoping they do uh, the Mist special edition release? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, how much money would the that The old make? Mist has been burned forever. Yeah. You remember when you saw the Mist the first time. Although but this is another one of those movies kind of like jaws where i think if they had 
better technology, it wouldn't have been as effective because they would have just been like, oh, we can put way more monsters in this now or do way more things with the creatures and completely lose sight of what the fuck the movie is actually about. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> to just be more reliant on that. That would be interesting. Um, one thing that I thought was really cool. And this is kind of tying back to the Stephen King thing. <coughs> the premise of the movie, sorry, excuse me. The premise of the movie is that, long story short, we'll probably go into it in, in more detail in a sec, but that there was a military uh, experiment project that went awry. It's not really discussed why it went awry in the film. They they say that it was maybe because of a thunderstorm that it disrupted some things. Yeah. But it was basically an attempt to kind of create a window into other dimensions, parallel dimensions. Right. And um, uh, unfortunately, there's a, a while again, we don't see it, some kind of storm, some kind of occurrence that takes place that widens that window to where these creatures from another dimension are, are now infiltrating ours. What I thought was cool was that it's hinted at, and this is probably more in the book or the story, that the Project Arrowhead um that that is the name of of this attempt to get into alternate dimensions is actually sponsored by and put on by the shop. Um, and the shop is a creation of Stephen King's that we oh, know from, from Firestarter. Firestarter. Okay, and also I think it has a connection with maybe the stand. There's a, a slight connection to the oh, shop and the stand as well. Really? But I just love like Stephen- oh the stand. Okay, yeah. I'm like stand by me. Yeah, right. <laughs> what? <laughs> that would be awesome. Which yeah, yeah, his is called the body. It's not even yeah. anyway. But um, so th- th- and that's something that Stephen King does a really great job of of. He knows how to make things sort of ambi- like ambiguously creepy um, just by being ambiguous. Like the shop is creepy because it's just called the shop. Right. You know, it's basically Your this. imagination runs wild. Right. It's basically this sort of like secret government agency that oversees projects that are outside of, you know, the norm that they yeah. would, are paranormal, let's say. Um, but uh, so I thought they just was- generate book plots. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a perfect money making machine there. So it's cool that I think that that was neat that that was kind of implied that that the shop might be behind this. Um, and that it's something as simple as it's not really even a it's certainly not convoluted into the point where it's it's hardly even explained as to why this is happening. Right. And that's what I think the reason why I say that it brings me back to what you were just saying, that if the effects were more that we would see more of these creatures instead of what we see in the store, which is far more frightening because it's the immediacy of these things happening. But what's done so well in the movie is that we only just get a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. It's not like, Holy shit, you know, like the world just exploded and now everything's gone crazy. It's just things start to go a little awry a little bit at a time. Yeah. And 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 it's so it's so great that they set it in a grocery store. So you've got this grocery store full of people, strangers, and some of them know each other. It's a relatively small town, but you know, so it kind of takes away what would be the immediate need, which is food and shelter. So they've got that taken care of. So now that you have food and shelter taken care of, you're basically just down to the interpersonal uh, connections. Yeah. Um, And that's where things start out okay. Yeah. 
But I think that the movie does a really good job of not like immediately somebody freaks out immediately, you know, the the groups start to splinter. It feels pretty realistic as to what we would think, how we think it would go. Right. Yeah. I felt. Yeah. You have one guy be like, that side's fucking crazy. And then by the end is their most you know fervent supporter. Right. You know? Right. I think I just made up a word there. But anyway, um, fervent is that was that a word? Uh, yeah fervent yeah <laughs> sure sure um yeah and it's man i didn't even think about this but yeah like you said it's like yeah they've got you know they have the shelter and food already handled which if i'm gonna get really like uh, broad and big brained here is kind of a commentary on humans themselves as a civilized culture because you know before agriculture and housing and things like that like that's pretty much what you did all day make collect hunt food and you know make sure everyone had shelter like that was it sure once those things just became a normal part of our society and easy to do you get fucking bored right like now what do we do and that's just when minds are left to just be like well how about this what if this what if this Right. You know, because you don't, there's nothing else to occupy it. So you have to find interesting things to occupy it. That is a, it's a, uh, this story is a microcosm. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Um, And, and it's, and a lot of what we do uh, fill our time with is, is nothing that's overtly connected to anything that would help us survive monsters invading our planet. Like we don't, we don't really spend a lot of time connecting to our planet or our natural resources. So as to make the best of them, <laughs> like, well, you know, kind of funny. I don't want to, I don't want to um, take away from your point, but they calculated that the first, that some of uh, the natives on the East coast that were the first tribes that were discovered um, when Europeans came to North America, they had figured out that the average male, you know, you know, young to middle-aged male in the tribe worked 40 hours a year. So 40 hours a year. Um, and so uh, now, of course, you know, that's pretty intensive work with like hunting down wild animals and that yeah. sort of thing. That's when but, you could buy a house with but that. The, right. But the rest of the time <laughs> was spent know. having like enriching the community or communing with the earth or having these celebrations or, or identifying with each other as people. Um, we're far more, you know, we either fill up our time with work and when we don't fill it up with work, we just sort of isolate ourselves in our own little activities that we want to do. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of community vibing, uh, you know, by comparison to, to ancient culture. So right. when you get like, if you had a group of natives before the European settlers came along that were trapped in a store, you know, they'd just kind of be like, okay, like we all hang out together anyway, all the time. What's different, you know? Right. Um, but you know, these people put up privacy fences and they don't, they, they hate their neighbor and this, that, yeah, it already, yeah. Our story already opens with a conflict yeah. between Thomas Jane and his neighbor played by Andre Brower. Whom I love. You love. You just uh, just recently started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, right? Like yeah. Last year Apparently, or so. people started watching that a while ago. Yeah, it might be I, on its like eighth or ninth season it right is, now. Yeah. But. And it's final season, actually. It's over now. But yeah. Oh, is it done? Right. He is my absolute. Uh, Captain Holt is my absolute, from the beginning, favorite part of that yeah, show. He rules. And he's, he's so good in this show. And he, he's, he's so good in that. And he's so good in this. Although I will say this. 
I feel like there's something on the cutting room floor of him. I feel like when not to jump ahead, but when his he, you know, sort of heads up a faction that that wants to leave the the supermarket when they leave, even though we do know what ultimately becomes of them, I feel like there had to be something more. Well, he because he went out with the MP. Yeah. So the MP that was the spider web stuff in the ceiling. Oh, yeah. I felt like that whole group suffered that same Uh, thing. Okay, but um. But yeah, so I I, w- I would have liked to see more than him. I, I just love that guy's presence. He's so great. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Every time I see Andre Brower, I just want to see him in Shakespeare. Like that guy could crush the fuck out of some Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, what a voice. Yeah. But um, but no, like uh, the the one thing that I want to say, if we're talking about the beginning of this movie, I don't know why I'm so hypersensitive to this, but I'm always really skeptical of uh marriage relationships that they have to rush really quickly that they can't spend a lot of time on yeah. the history of married couples and i feel like so often it's done really poorly like it's either like really snap together dialogue or paint by numbers relationship um you know they just sort of put this couple in an idyllic house and setting and they're just kind of cardboard and and there's no uh depth to that yeah we don't get a lot of time with uh with our our uh, husband and wife couple that were introduced to in the beginning, but it does the interaction as they react to what is ultimately a storm that creates some property damage on their house. They're kind of waking up the next morning, surveying the damage. I I really felt like that was all pretty natural. Yeah. Like I, I kind of like knew who these people were. They weren't overly complicated people, um, you know, but they weren't boring. Yeah. But I, I felt it like- was, they weren't like, all lovey like oh our love is all that defines us yeah. you know it was just seemed like finishing a fucking, each other's set, like, yeah, they're kind of like, like a, two people who live together and are probably best friends that was the problem i had with arachnophobia not not that that comparison hasn't been made a million times with this movie, but uh yeah just that kind of like overly cutesy overly clever coupling of these two people and but that wasn't this like thomas jane who is, I don't know, the consummate everyman. Like, yeah. he's attractive in a sort of rugged way. Um, you know, he's got a nice build. He's, he's you know, sort of uh, kind of like an old school handsome. Um, he's got a strong, weak chin. It's weird. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> you don't see that very often. No, usually one cancels out the other. But um, but yeah, he he we, we know that he's an artist. We don't know much about him. We don't need to know much about him. Um, and his reaction is pretty true to life where they're just kind of like, I mean, how do you react if all of a sudden a tree comes flying through your your living room? It's right. like you're sort of in shock. You just woke up. You're like, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> right. And they do a really good job of, of, of that. And it's all just kind of what's funny is. And now that I look back, it was probably intentional. And that is that they thought that was bad. <laughs> Like, they thought a tree through their picture window was right, as like, bad as it gets. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. yeah, they're all they're they're like, oh, I have to deal with all these normal things that I, you know, people wouldn't be surprised I have to deal with. Right, or my neighbor will have to call his insurance guy because the tr- his tree landed on my thing, and if only the storm didn't happen, I wouldn't have to deal with any of this shit. And so it's just kind of this uh, bullshit, womp womp. Yeah, uh, what are you gonna do? And while I don't like right, and I don't I don't like the preachy stuff, but maybe, and especially if you want to talk about somebody really putting an exclamation point at the end of this philosophy, the end scene, 
maybe it's just you know like don't get bogged down <laughs> like don't don't give up you know it might better times might be just around the corner we'll get to that later but um but yeah no it it starts out very simply very naturally very realistically i believe the relationships i believe the characters um we get to the grocery store simply enough and um then it is just an absolute smorgasbord of character actors yes which is great yeah and a lot are here's a i kind of love this rob zombie did this we just got done talking about rob zombie in our last film uh and frank darabont does this i love people who use who use actors who have a stable i love a director who has a stable quentin tarantino he's got a stable uh that wes anderson movie the french dispatch i think just came out like that guy has a insane stable of actors that he loves using and frank darabont in this one he did because he had already done a couple stephen king adaptations uh because he did the shawshank redemption and he did the green mile uh both incredible both unconventional stephen king works were mainly the uh drama side of you know stephen king uh green mile has some uh supernaturalness to it but like shawshank none like shawshank is like stand by me it's just like here's just a story about people um but a lot of people who were in those two movies are in this and then he would go on to create and show run the walking dead a lot of these people are in walking dead so i love a good guy who like finds talent likes working with that talent and is able to like put them in different shit where you're just not like oh well this is you know blah 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 just doing this sure like they're always different yeah, I like that collection, and and when we're talking about just you know you're speaking in talent as far as like a a grouping of actors, but I think like in the in the traditional sense of the word that there is there is really just a lot of very talented acting going on here. Not because, not just because these actors that he's that he's assembled and that he believes in um, are conveying a lot of honesty or believability in the lines you know scene after scene but let's face it there is a huge ass chunk of them having to react to nothing (laughs) right okay because we have a lot of special effects now what's nice is that going along with that stable of of talent that uh frank darabont has greg nicotero uh who did the special effects who also does the special effects for well actually no he's the uh shit Greg Nicotero is the director of uh, Walking Dead, isn't he? I don't know. Yeah, I think Frank Darabont put it together, but Greg Nicotero became the, uh, the oh, show okay. leader director. Oh, um, which is cool for an effects guy to to rise to that. Um, but uh, you know what I like about it is that Greg Nicotero and his team went to the the effort to create models of what would be the monsters that these people are looking at and reacting to. So they're like, hey. When you're reacting to that dot that we have on the end of a pole that we're holding up in the air yeah. and freaking out, this is the thing that you're reacting right. to. He, you know? You're right. He did. He directed a lot of Walking Dead. So, um, so I thought that was really cool. But yeah, to to have these actors have to react to literally like dots. I mean, shit. You you and I have been in shows where, and you know how long how much of a a, a, a 
chunk of time this takes up in rehearsal when you have a group scene that you're all supposed to be like watching a movie or something. (laughs) And we have to fucking run it over and over and be like, everybody's looking at that spot right there. (laughs) Right. Because you can't just trust actors to be like, hey, we're all watching a movie. Look in the same direction. You have to really like them. Like, Here's where the screen is. Look here. Because we are actors and as a result have not a single coherent thought in our heads. Um, So you really have to wrangle us. Um, But yeah, no, these people do a great job. There's never a a lack of believability in in any of their reactions to anything. They seem genuinely terrified. Um, The one person, if we're just talking about talent here, the one that I think really bears the lion's share of this is not Thomas Jane as our as our lead. But it is the actress. Marsha Gayhart. Yes. Yeah. I, we walked out and I was like, she's going to get a Best Actress nomination. And she did not. It, and it's and outrageous. That, and that's a ripoff. She rules in this movie. Plays the religious fanatic of the bunch who who takes it to about as, as far as you can get to where she becomes like the status of a cult leader, like yeah. in, in a short amount of time. What I love about her. And it's such a tropey Stephen King thing. Yeah. Especially like at the end of this movie where she's like sitting there like practically like peeling an apple with a knife like doing this like weird benign like that's so Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> this character. But it, it didn't bother me. In no. This one. No because so much of the time is spent not rushing her into that role. Like she's just that crazy lady that m- almost everybody can't stand. Yeah. Until she's, things get more desperate, so people, as they become more desperate, are looking for some kind of direction or some, yeah. something to believe in. So Well, and she keeps doing, uh, my apologies to anyone who is religious, but she does this thing in religion where you make a very broad uh, um, prediction that you can apply a lot of things to. Sure. And then be like, see, I was right. I got a special connection here. Right. I, I know. And only I can fix it. Right. Yeah. And, um, and it's done so well. I didn't feel like, like we're going to get attacked by monsters. No shit. Right. And I, the thing was like, I didn't feel like the movie was trying to make a statement against, I didn't think it was being mean spirited towards religion. No, it's just like that. That type of person it was. Yes. But not religion itself. And that's, that's what would happen. Like it would have to be tied to religion. There's, there's no other factor that would, that would allow people to be, um, kind of, there would be no other element that would rally people together uh, as as fervently as uh, as religion. Like it's not <laughs> it's you. not like somebody is going to gain a bunch of followers by like getting everybody into like the keto diet and like claiming like the the joys and the and the uh, successes of that. Now, like, if you love eggs and bacon and butter, though, <laughs> right. Um, Let me tell you. So it it had to be a religious person to to kind of create this sort of splintered faction. But I do like in the beginning how there's like these little mini groups, and the mini groups in the beginning are, I don't know. Some might be defined by um, you know you got a group of people that think like, hey, what's our plan going to be? Right. Yeah. The, the, the like minded people. Yeah. Kind of find themselves. And and I think a little bit that uh, you know to it's kind of an overword used now uh, overword overused word now, but vibing like you're just going to have people. It's an unwritten thing that you're just like, hey, you seem nice. I'm going to sit next to you through all this craziness. Yeah. 
What I love the most about the decisions made in this movie, because there was, and I believe in the story, there is, in fact, a sex scene, a, a, uh, an affair. Yes, I think there is an affair in the story. Between Thomas Jane's character, whose wife, when they originally got to the grocery store, his wife was left back at the house. He's just there with their young son and meets a new uh, elementary school teacher who's who's new to town, who's pretty, yeah. um, and uh, she's nice. And what I love about the movie's choice to not make them have that affair is that we get a much more stronger, unwritten bond where she just kind of assumes, it's kind of like they all assume it at the same time, like, you're this child's mother right, right. now. He's and like, he hey, watch one. my son. And she's like, that's not my fucking kid. I'm not watching. It's just like, I understand what needs to be done. Yes. Yeah. And that, that yeah, this this child needs a mother right now. Yeah. And uh, and you have to, to do what you have to do. So I really I really loved that. Yeah, I, I thought that, that decision was too. very sincere. And, it, you know, you don't have to make it any more convoluted than that. Um, now, would I have liked to watch? Yeah, yeah between those two, I yeah, wouldn't mind a good looking couple there. Minded. Yeah, they could get a just a normal chin out of the whole thing. Yeah. Um but uh <laughs> Yeah, because she's got a strong chin. Yeah, right. Yeah. Nice facial features. Yes. Um and she's not like seventeen. They didn't pair him with like no. someone twenty years younger. Like yeah, she looks no. like she's his age. Yeah. Which is nice. It's refreshing. Um so I think the the movie does a really nice job of handling a really difficult Subject matter, which is we're talking about giant monsters. Yeah. Um, not that they all are, but I mean, that's they're out there proportionally they're Yeah. It almost seems like they have very similar versions of our own creatures. Just they're proportionally larger and a bit more vicious. And isn't it interesting that Stephen King decided and it was a wonderful decision, especially if he somehow knew that it was going to be made into a movie someday to frame all of these monsters within a mist. That's what's the fucking key here. Yeah. I'm not saying that you couldn't make the same movie with just the monsters out in the open, but the fact that we don't see them, we just see this creepy ass mist hanging in the air. Right. And that we don't know exactly what's beyond that, but we know that it's not good. That's so much better than just the monster standing in the parking lot. Right. Just see him roving around. Right. Stomping cars and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's, you're just able to make it far eerier because even when you do see them, you can barely see them. You know, yeah. uh, you can't you can't see in front of you. I mean, I play this pirate game and they added fog to it. And it is like you can't see until you're right on top of something. Yeah. Uh, the fog sucks. But this is a mist. That was kind of weird. Like, I feel like no one. I get it. They have to say the mist. Yeah. But like when you see that coming out of the hills, you're going to say it's fog. Fog. Yeah. Yeah. I would. I can't. I Maybe don't know. that's a New England thing. They're just like, you fucking Midwesterners don't know what mist is. Yeah. If it was like a giant, you know, army of sprinklers at a theme park, then I would say the mist. <laughs> but if anything short of that, it's the fucking fog. Yeah. It's a fog. Yeah. So. So there's that. Now, here's something that I think this movie, uh, I guess the maybe people, they've lived on a bucolic hillside. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, who's going to who's going to really fear yeah, a mist? This is only around at, like at 5 a.m. Yeah, and it's gone. Right. Um, 
So one thing that I think they do a nice job of here, I was just going to say that balance is really a key word with this movie because they really do a lot of nice balancing of things. And I think they also do a nice job of some characters who you think are going to be just um, very stereotypical. Uh, end up not really being the person that you thought they were going to be at all. Yeah. There's the, the the first, I'm speaking mostly to the first gentleman that comes running into the store that has some sign of trauma. He's got a bloody nose. Yeah. He's screaming about somebody that was taken by the mist. Um, <laughs> something and, in the mist! <laughs> and uh, yeah, something is amiss in the mist. And he, he comes running in and lets everybody know. And that actor, I know that I've seen it. I mean, one of those recognizable character actors. You know you've seen him. And I think that he usually plays like a whiny, bitchy. Um, like, he would be so great as like the dad in Night of the Living Dead. Like, the, the dad is just pissed off and, <laughs> yeah. you know, play with the rabbit ears. Uh, that guy. So... But this actor comes running in, and you think, like, this guy is just going to be a jerk. He's going to think that that he runs everything because he's the one that saw that somebody got killed, and everybody's got to listen to him because he's the main guy. But he turns out to be, like, a really likable character. <laughs> right, yeah. Super likable. And um, the other thing that I really enjoyed was, and this is almost humorous, but you know that it's true. If you're in a business and things go wrong, at what point does the person in control go from being the person who is in control of the business yeah. to us being like, guess what? That doesn't fucking matter anymore. Yeah, because that's the... how it starts. And yeah. I didn't even pick up on that. One of the guys we were watching with was like, oh, this guy's like the mayor now. But he was just like the store, manager. store manager. And it's like, yeah, because everyone's just kind of like, well, I'm in this store. Yes. You run this store. What right. do we do? Exactly, and yeah. but you know what's funny? But then is they're it, like, "This store really doesn't exist anymore no. on a <laughs> grander scheme of things." Right? But wouldn't it be that way though? I think it yeah. would. I think yeah. people would I, default yeah. to. When he said that, I was like, "How the fuck have I missed that?" Yeah, <laughs> the couple times I've watched this. Yeah, you default to to whoever seems in charge, and and um, and so these groups start to splinter off, and I like the fact that the first real bit of action that we get with those tentacles is in a sort of far away place. So you've got some people that genuinely know that something bad is happening, but you have other people that, you know, they didn't see it. Right. They don't want to believe it. It's better to not believe it. It's better to believe that this whole thing is just going to blow over in 20, 25 minutes, whatever. But um, so that really starts to create the doubt. um, Some of the hostility, even though it's very subtle at first, but just slowly builds. Um, but you well, know, yeah, because Andre Brower thinks they're just like poking at him. Yeah, and and all of his reasons are pretty like believable. Where he's like, yeah, like I don't live in this fucking town, right? I know you little local racist assholes probably hate me, and I sued your buddy, and you're just trying to make me look like an idiot. Yeah, tentacles, kiss my ass. Right, I'm going to get help. And, but, you know, and, and the thing is that I like about it is that they don't even uh, I, I think it's I think it's hinted at, especially when he is sort of pointing out the the character of the kind of narrow minded mechanic. Yeah. But um, I don't they don't try to, like, overly make it about race. They don't try to overly make it about religion. They I don't really think they try to overly. They don't just settle on these hot button societal topics. It's really more about oh, right. the danger at hand. 
you know, yeah, that it never gets any more specific than that at any other time. Right. And I, I like that. I, and that's what to me creates the, the believability. Cause I don't think people would immediately descend into these like hot button, like Facebook arguments, you know, like it would be more about like, Hey, like this thing is probably going to end in a bit, right? Like, I mean, what do we do until then? Right. You know? um, William Sadler is the actor yes. you were talking about, who is like the bad guy in Die Hard too. Like, he's played some badasses, yeah. but in this, he's just like a fucking cowardly loudmouth. Yes. Yeah, he's the guy who's all talk, and then once our first monster attack, one of the bag boys is being dragged out by. Tentacles and Thomas Jane is holding on to him, and he's like, "Someone help me, Jesus Christ!" Like they're just standing there, mortified. And yeah. Toby Jones comes and helps because he's the other good guy, you know. But yeah, these like bravado, tough locals are all of a sudden. I feel like that would be me. Like I'd just be like, "What? What is this? I don't know what to do." Right. Right. Well, yeah, and I th- I think that they they do a nice job of that. It's like they don't overdo like. Not everybody jumps up to be a hero. Uh, in fact, like one of them does, right. you know, very few. And then like some of the heroics come from unlikely places, you know, not to judge a book by its cover. But I thought that was pretty cool that they had one of like the very smaller, meeker guys um, become the one that is best with a pistol. Like he just right. turns out that he was a target shooter, like a competitive target shooter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like the least macho thing with the gun. Right. Like, yes, I just stood still and shot at stationary things. You're right. But uh, but yeah, so it, 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 everything emerges in a non-formulaic way. And I think that's really the, the king of this movie. Um, with, if we're just going to come right out and say it, like you said earlier, very little interaction with the monsters. Yeah. I, very little. Yeah, it's um, like, it's literally just three separate little scenes. And then, and then your end, I guess, but that's not even. I mean, that's like a maybe run in with the monsters. Yeah, that you all. There's like nothing new in that part, though. And a, another thing that I like a lot is, I love it when shows or movies create circumstances that, even though you know it's a show or you know it's a movie, that even as a viewer you're like, well, shit, there's no way out of this. Right. Like there is just there's there's no way to beat this, and. um but yet they still have another 45 minutes to do something. So <laughs> something's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I really like that they made the enemy of the monsters that formidable. Like there, there was, what are you going to do? Right. Um, yeah. And no, I don't, I feel like no one did anything outrageously stupid. Like we're right. just like, okay, well that wouldn't have happened because no one would do that. Like they're like, we know we shouldn't leave, but like, People need pain meds and we need, you know, they needed supplies that the grocery store didn't have and it was close by. And it's either let these people suffer and or die. (laughs) Like one guy's like, fucking kill me, please. Yeah, right. Never felt pain like this after one of the after the flying monster attack. Um, So, yeah, like even when they leave the store, I'm on board with it. Like I'm not, you know. Not like, why would they do that? Well, and that, that, that brings me, and you're a perfect person to ask this question because I know that you are not a big fan of movies changing rules yeah. mid-stride. That was one thing that I questioned just a little bit. It, it's not a huge deal, but there are times in this movie where you're, I think, as a viewer, led to believe that if you walk out into that mist, 
Yeah. You got about 30 seconds. Right. And then you're dead. Yeah. So what in the world would make a small group of people think that they could walk all the way, even though the store was just adjoining, it was right next door. Yeah. But what would make you think that you weren't going to be instantly eviscerated as soon as you walked outside the door? Well, that's kind of part of this movie is you don't know. Because, yeah, they had. So, yeah, earlier in the movie, they have a group of people leave. The Andre Brower group leaves. And one other guy is like, I'm just going to run to my truck and get something. Tie this rope to me. It's 300 yards long. Oh, yeah. Well, at least no. And, you know. Yes. Did that guy die? Sure. We don't know what happened to anyone else in that group that went out. Right. And still that guy got out. They were like, he got out like 200 yards okay. before anything happened to him. So, yeah, it's it's not guaranteed that you're going to die uh, or that you're going to get attacked. Yeah. But the that's part of the uncertainty. Yeah. Will you be one of the lucky ones who doesn't? Yes. Because even when our group goes out, they lose a couple guys in that. Or... Even cementing that point even further, we ultimately find out that the first person who leaves the grocery store ended up surviving yeah. completely. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So it's just kind of more like luck of the draw of if the monsters see you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If they, yeah. if you get, maybe, lucky. you know, maybe they're like any other animal, like, well, I'm not hungry, so yeah. I'm not going to try to eat you right now. Yeah. It's not like if you go to, I don't know, like, Alaska that as soon as the plane lands you're just your throat's slashed by a grizzly bear exactly like, I mean, right they're out there but yeah yeah no that's fair um uh, yeah uh Nancy just sent me an article this morning about Cape Cod having um a lot of white sharks in the area oh and it's this full about it like this full article about you know these guys were wakeboarding and one got bitten and blah 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 and I was like this article should be two sentences long Sharks live in the ocean. Stay away. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or don't. I oh, mean, yeah, but yeah. that's but it's it's the same as going in the ocean. Yeah, well, I that's could say true. like I'm gonna go. I could be in the ocean. There are so many things in the ocean that could kill you. Right. Yet we're like, but the risk is worth the reward. Right. This I, is just a heightened risk. Exactly. Yeah. But, the, but uh, not. Yeah, a, yeah. This movie is just everything's. Heightened, yeah. But, but yeah, essentially the same thing. Like I know I'm going into a potentially dangerous situation but i'm willing to risk it yeah and i really do wakeboarding is different from like getting prescription medication right right. the idea is the same um not that there probably aren't some wakeboarders that don't abuse prescription medication (laughs) but uh but let me just say that one thing that i thought was neat was that we had a, a few different levels of monster in this this universe to where some are just so huge they're like skyscrapers yeah some are, are, you know, these smaller sort of flying, like intermediate or smaller sized creatures. I liked that. I liked that the, that the movie didn't culminate in the ne- the necessity of like fighting the big bad. Right. You know, that it wasn't like if we kill the one big one, then the rest will die or something, right. you know, which is so overused. Well, so, they, they, they might have had that idea. And then they saw that at the very end and they were right. like, oh, we couldn't. We couldn't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um. So we we really get uh, along uh, the the lines of what we we're talking about earlier. Um, the acting is solid throughout. I don't think there's a false note. Even the kid that plays, um, you know, Thomas Jane's Kid's son, good. Um, Frank Darabont. I, I read and I, I don't have the quote written down, but he is talking about him, and he's like, 
He's like, you know, I really love that scene between the two of them where Thomas Jane is saying that he has to go to the pharmacy and that it's going to be fine and, you know, just to stay calm and, and everything like that. And the kid is, is crying and, you know, he's sobbing and everything. And uh, he's like, he's like, we maybe did five or six takes. He's like, I, I told him to, you know, give me more on every take. And he said, by the last take, he was just sobbing. And he was like, he's like, can you fucking believe it? Like, this is literally what the words are in the, in the interview. He's like a fucking nine year old with that level of talent. But yeah, everybody was, everybody was great. Yeah. And you know, the, Nathan I, Gamble, that's kid, that kid's name. And um, something that I thought was handled in a, it, it, it's almost as if you're putting together a narrative that you would have to almost lock upon this. That when we get our final group who departs from the, the store, which is um, Thomas Jane, the school teacher, Thomas Jane's son, and then an, an older, they're not really a couple, but just an older man and woman. Yeah. So they're really the only ones left that get to his vehicle that leave. Um, they, it's so ridiculous. Like the things that you think are somehow going to be safer, they go to his house. Like somehow everything's going to be better if we just get home. Yeah. Um, and then they find his wife dead. Um, she's dead in kind of a, a creepy ass way, kind of cobwebbed up into the corner of a uh, of their house. Yeah. On the outside. Um, what I liked about that moment was that I didn't need any more closure than that. No. <laughs> it's just kind of like, yeah, she's dead. Like that's. <laughs> kind of what we thought was happening the whole time yeah you know um but i'm i was so glad like i had the dumbest thoughts while watching this movie like maybe the wife is behind it all or something right like, yeah just stupid or no i'm with you you were like like the school teacher was new to the town and anytime somebody's new to the town like they could be the ones to bring it about or yeah. whatever none of that stuff yeah silly stuff didn't happens. have to do any of that yeah from a uh from an aesthetic, one thing that I don't know if you caught this onto this or not, but I think it was a neat choice. Um, because we're talking about monsters, we're talking about this like uh, Lovecraftian type giant monsters from other dimensions thing. There, there's naturally a, a tie to things that feel old. Um, also, the the book came. I think the story came out in 1980. Okay, so sounds right. What they did was it's not really shoved down your throat. But there was some discussion of whether or not they should make it a period piece and set it in 1980. Uh -huh. They decided, well, that's not really necessary. But they did actively like whether it was some of the like designs of the like signs in the store or some of the vehicles that they chose. They kind of were adding in these little bits of like late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. So it does have a sort of timeless. Oh, yeah, because the MPs look like they, they come out of stripes right, exactly. <laughs> I remember it's stripes right right yeah and like see so yeah, some of the military vehicles like the jeeps or you know thomas jane's like oh older yeah land jeep, cruiser yeah the jeeps kind of like old the, boxy yeah so they oh. did this really good job of kind of trying to meld this sort of nondescript you know a little bit of old a little bit of new yeah and yeah that works because yeah that makes sense yeah man cell phones are gonna ruin everything about that like yeah. <laughs> Once you hit that era. So was there... Although, well, they kind of had cell phones in this, and there was no cell tower. Yeah. No, they didn't have reception. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, um, but yeah, no, that's... You're right. But that's... we were... That was before phones did everything. Right. As well. Yeah. 
And chances are, if you had a phone then, and there was... It a, was just used as a phone. Yeah, and the <laughs> thickest mist that anyone has ever seen is probably going to yeah kill that service. But um, this is... When, when I think about this movie, I think about... You know, when you, you go on social media and you see people say, like, oh, it's October, like, I'm going to watch Halloween tonight, or I'm going to watch, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever... And watch a bunch of spooky movies or whatever's on TV. It's it's kind of like a recycling of the same movies over and over. Yeah. And, and why not watch The Mist for God's sake? Yeah. I mean, it, oh, we didn't even talk about spider scene, really. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You go that, into that for one sec. Are you going to the bathroom again? All right, folks, Tim has already gone. Remember like 10 minutes ago when I was talking about uh, Frank Darabont and his, uh, the people he works with? Uh, Tim was in the bathroom during that part, too. Good Lord. What was I going to talk about? Nah, I don't even remember now. Anyway, it's the mist. Uh, what was I going to talk about? I like the mist. Uh, oh, the spiders. Uh, I did like the creature design. Uh, they have like this weird, almost a uh, human-ish face on the spiders, but it like looks like a skull. Uh, so it is already kind of creepy to people. You have to wonder what kind of dimension this was. I'm vamping. I'm vamping. Uh, yeah, the bugs. I like the bugs. Here's what I did like about this movie. Like, no one is safe. Uh, we've got that cute, the cute couple of like the 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 checkout clerk and the young guy in the military. And you know, they kind of have a romance. And then she gets stung by one of the bugs, and just her fucking face yeah. and neck swell up, and just she suffocates like, like goiter stuff. Yeah, and you're yeah. just like, oh my! And she's so pretty, and then just yeah. is this huge bloated puffy face. The spiders shoot the kind of like acid silk. That part I was like, yeah, I don't know if you need that, but you know, it does add a good. Because, I mean, it seems to be everywhere. Is yeah. there some point it loses its acidity? Can it not chew through? How can you, you know, string somebody up and it's not eating through them? Whatever. Real quick, I have to ask you this because it's it's you're the perfect person. With these being sort of interdimensional spiders. Yeah. Did it play into your spider creepiness or was it is it categorized as sort of like a different creature? Uh, yeah, because, you know, they had like faces. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, it was. Definitely like, oh, God, I wouldn't wouldn't want to see that. You don't like spiders from any dimension. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But yeah, like if you get into goofy spider movies, like ice spiders and shit like that, like yeah. sci-fi channel spider movies, those do not bother me. At okay. All. Okay. Um, no, like it's real spiders <laughs> freak me out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, you've got those bugs. We've kind of got these weird pterodactyl flying things. Those are, were like the only things that didn't seem to be based on some other. I mean, I guess a bird. Yeah, that was your bird version, but it was more of a pterodactyl almost. Yeah, it was. Yeah, but none of the other things seemed. And they were attacking each other, which was kind of cool. This yes, scene. that was kind of cool. Like yeah. the large, the pterodactyls came in to eat the bugs. Yeah. Um. Who uh, stung your neck? I don't know why it stung my neck. I guess she'll die. Anyway. Um, but yeah. And then, yeah, we see kind of a big. Yeah, this is what drives me like what's so frustrating about the Marsha Gay Harden character is, yes, she is right a lot, but, you know, it's for the wrong reasons or it's just like a chance she was right about something, but it gives her so much power. 
And just every fucking time she's able to be like, see, I told you, you're just like, shut, shut the fuck up. Yeah. But it gives her so much power where it, you know, yes, as you said, she becomes like a cult leader and where they're like, oh, it was the military's fault because they find one of the MPs in the pharmacy and he's like, he through just a couple lines are like, it was our fault. We, you know, opened a dimension. And so then they're like, essentially in this weird religious overtoned time, sacrifice this young soldier. Yeah. Uh, like put the blame on him. He's like, I didn't, I'm not a fucking scientist there. Right. I just work there. Like I got stationed there. I live here. Like you guys know me. Right. But they're so eager to find something to blame. Sure. Uh, that they like litter and she's literally like sacrifice him and they fucking stab him. And then, you know, there's that great shot where he's just like screaming and groaning and it's overhead. Yeah. And the crowd is just passing him on and they just fucking dump him outside. And this giant <laughs> crab beast. Yes. That you are just pretty much obscured. You really only get a good claw that comes and grabs him. Uh, so, yeah, everything is like things that we have just on these like huger perspective levels. And yeah. then, yeah, when our big group does eventually leave because they're like, we need to get out of here. There's a there's a great showdown then with Marsha Gay Harden. That, that's the part where because they've got like groceries stashed. They're going to get out of there. It's like 5 a.m. Let's sneak out. They go to get the groceries. They're not there. And they look up and she's like sitting there with the groceries like going somewhere. Yeah. Like, I fucking run this shit now. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, and all of her followers then, because you see everyone sleeping and now, but all of her people are up. Yeah. And there's just a huge, you know, then it's just this mob descending on them. Toby Jones shoots her. And then, like most people who follow a leader, once that leader's gone, they're like, ah, I don't yeah. know what to do now. Yeah. Uh, just run around and do nothing now. Yeah. Kind of, kind of makes you wonder if that tactic shouldn't have been used more throughout history right, like, exactly you know i mean how bad could it be i mean yeah. at least we got that guy but no but you're right it's so funny like when when um one of my favorite things is that while she is building power that she'll be in one of her like ramblings of of you know biblical philosophy or whatever and then all of a sudden somebody just whips a can of peas at her face yeah. like it's so awesome and it's pretty funny actually yeah like the, there are a lot of people who just don't buy into it yeah but it's that yeah we i mean it relates a lot to today a very uh angry and motivated small number of people that yeah. make themselves seem like that's the consensus yeah that's the you know agreed upon uh perspective sure when it's not at all exactly but no. it's like it's hard to take on that many people with such a singular vision and goal right there's no way to um uh uh uh, you know have you know have a have a conversation with them yeah try to deconstruct maybe point out some flaws in their in their thinking because they're all like nope this is right this is how it is you can't convince me otherwise well and it's 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 so crafty how it all emerges because like in the beginning she just gets like the one lady who's probably just happy to have a friend <laughs> like whether she buys right. into the religion or not it's like somebody will talk to me you know <laughs> so she gets like this one towns lady and then um she starts to build amass this this smaller group but even when it gets bigger you're like 
eh, our, our, our people, our good people can still take them, you know? Yeah. But then when it gets to that final showdown, like you're talking about, it's like, God damn, like, it's so ridiculous. Like we're just trying to survive, and we have to deal with you fucks. Like, <laughs> right? But, um, but yeah. Thanks. And there is even a part where uh, I forget her name now. Uh, uh, Amanda Lori Holden, where she's just like, "It's been two days." Yeah. yeah. Like, look at what's happened. Right. Here. It's right. Been two fucking days. Yeah. And it's like, um, and you know what? That kind of stuff is real. And I remember yeah. I've talked about it before. I remember when the um when the the twin towers were attacked um and i i came back into that same hardware franchise that i was working at and um i came running in like oh my god the lines at the gas station like everybody's lined up you better get you know they're gonna run out of gas and all this stuff and my my uh store manager who was serbian who had seen real tough times <laughs> right. was like you can't do that like you're only going to create panic like i mean this is a guy who lived through i mean the serbian war was fought in their front yards yeah. you know so you you just you can't stir people up like that but um but it doesn't it doesn't take long at all like god even at the beginning of covid like i remember one of my coworkers coming over and being like like um this is like maybe a day or two into it and he just comes over to my desk kind of creepy and he's like you know what's weird they don't tell you how it kills you <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm like, but yeah but we're all buying into it like yeah what the fuck is going on with this and but i mean that kind of human goofiness well, they did though they were like it's a respiratory <laughs> it shuts down your yeah. respiratory system but um but it's uh it's human silliness knows no bounds and it, no. it doesn't take long for things to get out of hand. No. I mean, try, you know, if you ever played a board game with a room full of adults and then it kind of collapses into just anarchy right. because somebody gets pissed off, like it doesn't take much. No, no. And it's all, it all comes out. Yeah. We should talk about the end of this movie. Yes. <laughs> we're, we've been kind of silently yeah. avoiding it, but this is, this is also that point where, sure you know maybe has you haven't seen this movie does it sound like it's something you'd want to watch stop this now and go watch it before yes. we talk about the very end um yeah we had a friend who watched you know so we did our little double feature we watched halloween and then we were watching this and one of our friends was going inside because my wife does uh, not a fan of these movies so she wasn't watching with us we're like ruth are you sticking around for the miss she's like hell no not with that ending no way and our, our other friend was like now i'm so intrigued yes this movie uh so in the book the way the book ends is essentially they they get out and it's just kind of them now just like driving aimlessly they don't know where to go and there's just one part they like stop to get supplies and are fucking around with the radio and they like pick up a signal that's like further south and they're like well we'll go further we'll go yeah. further south it's like a feeling of this may not ever end uh and we'll just do our best to adapt to this situation covid parallel anyway <laughs> in this movie we kind of get that <laughs> yeah 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 but it's i mean it's rough because i mean it's uh I, I, I will say, watching this, I was like, man, everyone just kind of seemed to jump on board with this idea right away. Yeah. Like, had they talked about it before? Is it something they'd agreed upon? Because uh, essentially, it's they are just, they're just like, we're going to drive until we run out of gas. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't think it would be worth the risk to try and get gas somewhere else. But they just drove until they ran out of gas. 
And then they're just, you know, then you're stuck there. Now you're in a smaller store without any store things. Right. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And so Thomas Jane pulls out a gun and there's five of them in there. There's the two old people, Thomas Jane, school teacher and his son. He's got four bullets. And it, it is, man, it's, you almost don't want the kid to know, but he gives you that shot of the kid. He's waking up and you get the perspective pretty much from Thomas Jane's seat. The kid and the kids in the front seat sleeping on Amanda, and he looks up and just gets wide eyed, and then you cut to outside the the jeep. So you kind of get that mist haze over it, and you just see like four flashes from inside the car, and you're like, yeah. "Ugh." Uh, cut back to Thomas Jane now <laughs> covered in blood, yes. and that's just a great bit here, man. The scream, like the screaming, feels so real. Just that guttural, like. Uh, it, it's more of frustration, and yeah, anger, yeah, than like loss and mourning at that point, and just the like putting the gun in his mouth and just keep pulling the trigger, like yeah. he knows it's empty, but yeah, maybe, maybe right. this time something <laughs> happens. I, you, you just saw this for the first time. I'll let you finish. Well, how this movie? Ends. Well, let me let me just and uh, how it affected you, right? Well, let let me just say that the one thing that is there and and you're right there is no that we see anyhow discussion of what would happen if they do run out of gas and there's just no place left to go you're right though that the sort of discussion of let's just go out on our own terms is pretty it just seems like he like picks it up and the old guy just kind of nods like Like, yeah like yeah sure (laughs) yeah and and it really is that and i and i think they do a nice job of from a sound perspective, you know, you hear the creature sort of bellowing in the background. So it's kind of like, you know, from a sound perspective, you can hear that giant thing looming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the thing I was going to as they're driving. We yeah. do get a shot of just this enormous. It's like 50 stories yeah. tall and four legged thing, tentacles and like everything. That, like, right. It's like an amalgamation of everything. How many seen. different ways that thing could kill you? Right. Yes. Um, so. While they don't give a flashback to it, you, f- uh, I find my, I found myself remembering. Uh, Are you gonna cry? Happened. Yes, uh, cry it out, Timmy. <laughs> just remembering back to a moment in the store where the the son said that he needed his dad to make him a promise, and that was that no matter what happened, that he wasn't going to let the monsters get him, oh, and so yeah. That would to me like I remembered that moment, and as as difficult as as a decision that that would be as a as a parent to kill your own child, we it's both just, choked up, right? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but <laughs> we're tough horror fans. But uh, I'll tell you, it's it's just something that you know. There's you're exactly right that that scream that he gives. It's it's a it would have to be a feeling that. There's not even a word for, yeah. you know, it's, it's just coming completely undone, you know, that, that, um, it's just a complete loss of, of control, of emotion, of sadness, of, of anger. It, it's a little bit of everything. So he's in the midst of that and we feel him like we feel that pain through the screen of him just being just ripped apart emotionally. And there's, he, there's obviously no clear idea of what he's going to do now. He's just stuck and in a world of, of misery. And 
then with no expectation of this as a viewer, just kind of gently coming through without any warning, we see a military vehicle with military personnel and it's sort of coming through the mist, yeah. driving past him, not even really taking notice. And then we see another one and another one. And it's it's pretty soon we start to see these military vehicles filled with townspeople, even townspeople that we saw in the beginning of the movie that have now Yeah, survived. there's one woman at the very beginning where they're like, we're like, we can't leave this building. And she's like, look, I like left my eight-year-old at yeah. home with my smallest child. I said I'd be five minutes. Yeah. She's like, I'm leaving. Right. Try and stop me. And you just see her walk into the mist. You don't hear anything. But yeah. And we see her drive by. At yeah. The end. And you're kind of like, Fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're you're so happy. But it's it's this like horrible, conflicted feeling because not only do you see these vehicles come by, but you see these giant blasts from flamethrowers where they've like cleared like huge chunks of forest. And it's like, holy shit, they're winning. Yeah. The mist is gone. Yeah. Like we're we are winning. We're beating these things. Yeah. And Had he waited it, literally one more minute. Yes. And it's that near miss, that tragic near miss of if he had just waited that extra minute, if they had just. I mean, any number of things had been uh, uh, five seconds, 10 seconds different that they would have saw that caravan. They would have hopped on. They would have driven to safety. And um, that has got to be one ballsy ass choice to put that ending into that movie. Now, here's what's interesting. Frank Darabont was offered twice the budget that he had to work with on this movie if he changed that ending. Oh, really? Yes. Twice, what? twice the budget, but it was um, Weinstein that uh, that Bob, yeah, that uh, you know, because it was Dimension Films that did this one too, yeah. Um, and uh, he's like, "No, I love it." He's like, "I love that ending. You got to have that." He's like, "I can only give you half the money that you're being offered, but you can keep your ending." Wow. And that's what he that's what he chose to do, just for the integrity of the product, and uh, and it's. As a viewer, you kind of say to yourself, "Do I re- did I really need that suffering at the end? <laughs> right. But again, it just kind of the only silver lining that I can put on it is like, if it seems really, really bad, just like, hang on. You never know when something good is going to come around the corner. Yeah. And uh, now from my own cynical corner. Yes. <laughs> I mean, these vehicles had military personnel walking next to it yeah they would have had to have passed them like as as the our group is driving right they would have had to have passed them and then stopped because they were a minute behind them yeah (laughs) walking right oh okay no that makes sense hate to ruin any kind of emotional impact that any might have but it is if you think about it you're like yeah and they just all been in a vehicle yeah then i i'm with you Right. Like they were just behind him, just barely behind him, but you can't see. Can't see. It's a mist. Yeah. Uh, but with the people walking, you're just like, well, where the fuck? Where'd they come from? Well, you know, and, and the thing is, it's like, I'm sure that there were scores of people who walked out of that movie and were just probably even pissed. Oh, like, sure. Like, you know, those, you know, somebody that doesn't do that, go to the trouble to like actually watch a trailer for the movie that they're going to go see. And they just like going to movies for entertainment. And then they see that and they're like, what the hell? It was a waste of my whatever, 15 bucks. But um, 
I don't know though. It's it's got an effect. It certainly has an effect. Yeah. And um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe a big happy. Clappy. I've never heard anyone be like unnecessary or what a dumb ending or anything. I mean, it's definitely affected everyone right. I've ever talked to, and and they didn't expect it. Yeah, it's uh, I've never, yeah. I've never heard heard it as a complaint. No, and and I, I would other hope that, than that was dark. Yeah, right. And uh, but you know, it I, I guess it just goes to show that like you know you might want to get a plan in place. Like, make sure you've got batteries in your smoke detectors. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Do everything you can. Yeah, but um, no, I I did love that ending. It's it's a hard hitting. It it, it it it's already a unique movie to start with, yeah. and that just makes it even more of its own flavor. Yeah, like, that's its own movie. Yeah, and Stephen King liked the ending more. What's that? And Stephen King liked the ending more. Yes, he'd wished, yeah. He'd wished he'd no, that. right. And for him to be willing to admit that, I think, is pretty that's, cool on his part. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Yeah, I can't think of any other person, no, like an author who's had their work done and where they're like, I like this bit way better than what I came yeah. up with. Maybe they were like, I'm fine they did that, but not wish I'd done it. Right. Yeah. No, it is, it's the exact right move to make. Yeah. So you recommend? I do. I, I do. Good. And I'm I, so I know. I'm glad you like this. Because rewatching it, I was like, oh, man, there are not there are not a lot of monster encounters. Like, I like I remembered what they were. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I guess there's only a couple. I'm, gl- I'm glad you, like, got, got it. I'm oh, glad yeah. you got it. Well, and here's the thing. Like. It, it, you're right. There aren't a lot of monster encounters, but I still wouldn't. Not that it's a downgrade. It's just two different genres, but I still wouldn't downgrade it to like thriller. No, it's more. It's I would still call it a horror movie. Yes. Yeah. So would I. Sweet. Well, good. Yeah, I recommend I, I recommend it. I recommend getting the DVD and watching it in black and white. Yes. Yeah. There might be a version you can rent off of like iTunes or something. I don't know. I Probably, don't know how that works yeah. anymore. But, you know, go to your library. <laughs> the DVD archive. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was The Mist from 2007. Uh, next week, as we continue, Steve's the King, baby. From 1983, it's The Dead Zone. I've never seen this. I thought I had. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, no. I saw the show. There was a show version, I should sure? say. Yeah. But yeah, I never saw the movie. I've only seen bits of the movie. Um, I haven't seen all of it. I'm just so glad How's your that we're Christopher Walken impression. Oh, go, you know, yeah. I was just going to say, I'm just so glad that we're doing this because yeah. you go up to any casual horror fan or any movie fan and say that, you know, hey, we're doing a, a Stephen King anthology or, um, you know, like a, a mini series and they're going to list off, you know, uh, and there's nothing wrong with these, but they're going to say, you know, Christine, the shining, you know, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, but the dead zone, for God's sake, I'm glad that we're kind of going under the yeah. radar how is your christopher walken do you do a christopher not as walken? good as you. i have done it in the past but i think yours is is quite a bit better oh, thanks yeah no next week <laughs> that zone I, I haven't done it in a while i feel like i've lost it, you it gotta, it's, it's a hard one to like do for a long time right it's like you just do like two sentences and then that's yeah that's all yeah all you need uh i did look it up uh the mist is in skeleton crew as well as the jaunt. Oh, okay. They're both in there. But uh, yeah, look. I, then I looked at the list of Night Shift, and yeah, like pound for pound, it just like boom. Here, 
I mean, you could tell me to read them both, but let's, I mean, that's just crazy talk. I mean, I, I read a book every yeah. 10 years. Also, a lot of these from Night Shift have been made into movies. Uh, oh. Graveyard Shift, The Mangler. Yeah. Did you ever see The Mangler? I didn't see it, but I know About of the it. Possessed yeah. laundry yep. folding machine. Yep. That's a pretty good story. The Boogeyman. Gray Matter. Have you ever heard of Gray Matter? No. Oh, that's about, it's about a, uh, it's like a kid who lives with his dad in an apartment. And uh, like one day his dad's drinking a beer and he's like, well, there's something weird in here. And then he starts like turning into a monster. Oh, wow. And like eating cats and shit. It's oh, weird. wow. It's That's so awesome. Yeah. Great matter rules. Battleground is good. Trucks, which uh, eventually oh. becomes maximum overdrive. Mm, interesting. I don't say that like that for <laughs> any reason. Sometimes they come back. That was like a movie with Tim uh, Matheson. Oh, that's right. Uh, Strawberry Spring. Do you remember that? John, our friend Johnny did a uh, reading of that. Yeah, I do. I always thought it was you that did that reading. But which one did you do? (sighs) That's a great question. God, I could have sworn you were the one that did that. No, Johnny did that. I might have done the boogeyman. I don't know. I might have done the boogeyman. Because, yeah, John and I were both huge into Night Shift in high school. The Ledge, that's from... uh, um, Cat's Eye, Lawnmower Man, Quitter's Inc. That's from Cat's Eye. Now, the Lawnmower Man short story, like, that's Running Man. Like, the, yeah. the movie and the story have little to do with one another. Right. Yeah, Children of the Corn is from that. Dude, that was published in Penthouse. That's awesome. That is awesome. But yeah, ton ton of great stories come out of Night Shift. So yeah, if you're looking for some awesome uh, Stephen King short stories, pick up Night Shift as a whole. Uh, but the mist and the jaunt out of skeleton crew, especially the jaunt. The jaunt might be one of my most, my most favorite. Yes. Christ. Uh, yeah. So the dead zone next. I don't even know who even directed the dead zone. Good question. We'll find we'll out. Find out. We'll yeah. find out next week. Yes. Uh, okay. So uh, check out our website, slumberpodcastmassacre.com. Uh, so please shoot us an email, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. You like Stephen King? Let us know. A uh, huge thank to our patrons. Uh, you help make this show possible. A uh, little shout out. We're, uh, we haven't got anything hammered out yet, but if you become a patron, we are going to do a commentary track for the remake of Slumber Party Massacre. Uh, and that'll be available to our patrons as a uh, way of saying thank you. Uh, oh, shoot us like a review on uh, uh, iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Like, Give us the five stars that you know we deserve. And uh, I love this podcast. That would be great. Yeah. Um, uh, Tim, do you got anything else to say about The Mist? Well, not so much about The Mist, but just Stephen King in general. The one thing that I'm excited about with these miniseries is that I I love doing them. And I know that we're looking at possibly getting away from them for a second after this one's done. But um, I'm I'm excited about this one in particular because I think Stephen King is pretty accessible for a lot of people. So if we have listeners that aren't, you know, died in the wool horror fans, they're probably even still a little bit familiar with Stephen King. I would love I'd love to see a little I couldn't wouldn't call it a competition, but I'd be interested to see if somebody wants to write in and give us like a top 10 ranking of either Stephen King books or movies. I'd be I'd be really curious Let's just even make it the movies. Let's keep it simple. Sure. We'll make it the movies. Top 10 Stephen King movies. 
And uh, it'll be interesting to see if what people consider their top 10 are any of our picks for this miniseries. Yeah. That'd be fun. Uh, All right, Tim. Well, then I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.